Check, check, check. Check, check, check. Mm. Check your phone, mic, one, two, what? You never close your eyes anymore when I kiss your lips. <laughs> Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. So do we have nothing to talk about? It's been 18 minutes. Did we use it all up at dinner? Maybe we did. Go Cubs Go. Vote for us at bestcatholicwebsites.com. Oh, yeah. yeah. We do need to give a shout out to that. You have a topic, Rob? Hmm. Not really. I'm at a loss. Is this the end of the podcast? Did we run out of things to say? <laughs> yeah, we, maybe. Wow. I got really tired when I sat on this couch. I know sit that. Sit on the chair again. No, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. We're gonna work through this. Yep. Well, we could call it and try to do it tomorrow morning if you guys still have time. Sleep on it. I mean, we could. It might. I'll still use the beatbox as the intro, obviously. Obviously. Let's think of a topic. What's a good topic? Um. Okay. Here's one. This might go nowhere. Probably will not. I thought about the. This has been a while ago that I thought about this, and it, I I don't know if I've talked about it on the podcast or not, but how do you formulate like a really good question? That that's something that I don't know. I've just found. Well, even we were just talking about like like piety and how that can come into Halloween or whatever else, but. That'd be something, that'd even be a good shout out of like, if we were ever going to do a questions episode, Mm -hmm. what's like a really hard question? I've just been thinking a lot lately on, I don't know, on like ordination coming up, but there's been this kind of like weight with it, like this sense of responsibility. And I feel like the past, like, I don't know, and I'm not a cultured guy, Mm -hmm. but I do have a weight bigger understanding of what culture is mm-hmm. because you talk to me yeah absolutely absolutely and honestly it's just been like sinking in of like how yeah how much work we have to do in our mm-hmm. lifetime and it's not on us necessarily but you're saying from the perspective of an asker like no, a seeker, from us from, from, our from pers- us yeah from our perspective like what do you hear and it's like that's a really good question because you kind of mm-hmm. know it when you hear it. And I, I guess like even in evangelization, this is this is the context I've been thinking of. It's like, I do think we have the answer in Jesus and his church and what he gives us. Right. Um, and I think we can very much systematize that and have the answer and not understand what people are asking and not understand the question that's being asked. So it's even like I went back to, this is a while ago on the podcast, but uh, when my nephew asked me how to be brave, mm. and I was like, that's a really good question. Yeah, and I have a question even on that question, which is, do you ever get to the point where 
you have told yourself so much that Christ is the answer to the question that you are like, I wouldn't say incredulous of it. Not that your faith, you're like losing your faith, but you, you just sort of, well, kind of like what we're doing tonight, kind of running out of things to say. Like I, I get this with preaching sometimes where, um, is there really just, is there anything else to say? You know, and I haven't even gone through the whole lectionary yet, yep. you know, as a priest. But that's where, I mean, that is why people say, like, you must pray as a priest. If you are not drinking right. from the fountain of God, then you will, and you, or you're trying to, you know, slake the thirst of the masses every mm-hmm. week, you will just become a raisin of a human being and have nothing to say. But I, I have glimpsed that. I can be totally honest with you where you sit down and like even reading the scriptures through the lens of like, what can I say about this? You know, how does this apply to our culture and what can I really like, whatever, dig into some deep question about. And I can feel like I'm completely unsatisfied by that. Right. You know, so I I think that's where it starts. I don't know if I'm hitting on what you're talking about, but I, I think that's where it does start in your own experience as a human being. Do I even wonder, like, like recently I was just thinking like, what if, what if like I'd never encountered any of this? What if I was just living a life, Mm -hmm. never having encountered or cared about any of these questions? Like many people I meet. Yeah. They're just living their lives. And they think priests are interesting or they might think you're okay as a guy, but just I don't see any need for it, church or anything like that. What if I were like that? Would my, obviously my life would look very different. But do you, do you get what I'm saying? Like to keep the fire stoked, mm-hmm. there has to be a thing like, do I really care to be loved infinitely? Or is it enough just for the Cubs to get into the World Series? Maybe that was what stoked it for me last night was watching those like throngs of people in Wrigleyville just ecstatic. Hmm. And I wasn't ready to be and I don't think this is necessary as a Catholic, but to to like sit above them and be like, Oh, this is such a measly good to feel sated by. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, when there are heavenly delights to be had, like I, I, in that moment, I wouldn't have even bought that. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> so, yeah, good question. How do you formulate a good question? How, how do you keep the the quest alive? How do you cut through your own BS? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know the answer. <laughs> Yeah. Cuz there's a million things you could talk about. Yeah. You know, if we if we our sermons were just like let's go through the summa or let's yeah. go through the whole bible yeah. and just explain it. Yawn. You know? Yeah. But then at the same time you're like, well there's some deep questions our culture is really asking about the meaning of life. Yeah. And what will make you happy, but sometimes I feel like I'm getting up there every week. And today especially, 
I felt I felt so self-conscious about my homily today that I literally called someone I trust who was at mass this morning and I said, "What did you think of my homily?" Hmm. Because I don't know because I don't know why. I just felt like is anybody listening? Or does anybody care? Wow. Hmm. And it wasn't like a crisis of vocation or anything like that, but I I just thought am I completely off the mark? Have I not done enough work on this or prayer or or something like I feel like I'm just getting up here and accusing people even though I'm making every effort to accuse myself first but um because mm. the t- today it was all about pride with the Pharisee and, and the publican um but like just you know you you say something long enough like we all are sinners and we all need mercy and people just kind of seem to go along and not feel like they need mercy or at least not come to confession. And, and that's not really the main thing that bothers me, but sometimes myself, you know, like, am I just even that bothered by this question? I don't know. Yeah. And I think in a lot of ways, like the cutting through the BS, I think another way to put that is like, allow the incarnation to actually be effective, to take root in your own life, which is a very general statement, but you can we can make blatant statements about truths about the faith like god loves you but man to Karchi's point like in your day today and yesterday like that was a very important thing and our lack of awareness to that reality it's like we don't let the incarnation really pitch its tent with us you know like god loving you in these difficult situations i I don't know, even that's very general. Well, so here was a, a, a thought I had from the Fire of Mercy book the other day. And I, I thought of this because of my own struggles when people come to me and are kind of lost or really despairing for one reason or another. <clears throat> and it was some rabbinic writing that he was quoting, uh, talking about the Beatitudes, I think. Oh, blessed are those who mourn. And, uh, you know, people come to you all the time in their morning and they, they don't know what to do or, you know, they want some comfort or something. And a lot of times my go-to response is something like, you know, do you pray? Do you bring this stuff to God? And, and sort of like putting it on God to take care. Of. And I think that's a pretty safe policy. Like I can't, I can't make you feel better, but I can draw you in, you know, to God who can, you know, if you have a relationship with him, if you are in communion with him, you'll, you'll understand you're not alone in your suffering. But what if somebody comes to you and they're just like, I'm lonely. Yeah. I'm really alone. And your response is something like, you're never alone. God is always with you. And uh, this rabbi that he quoted was like, if somebody comes to you and they say, you know, that they don't feel that God is with them or that they're lonely or mourning, you have to, in that in that instance, he said something kind of radical, I think, like you have to be a practical atheist, like you have to pretend that God does not exist and that you are in his place, that God has put you there hmm. to be him in that moment so that that person can actually receive. In, in other words, like to send the person off into the abstraction of God is always with you mm-hmm. rather than the fact that God has brought this person to you because they're lonely. Yeah. That just puts this insane pressure on you as a priest mm-hmm. to say something or do something. 
it's an obligation. That is what's crazy. Yeah. It puts this obligation on you to like make this person's problem your problem. Which is, it's, it's insane. Huh. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because as a priest, like what if every person's problem is your problem? Imagine that. That's unbearable. It's insane. Yeah. We even, I mean, this might be a little off from there, but it's like, maybe I'm just in an existential crisis that the Cubs actually won the pennant. (laughs) And like, we were talking about it at dinner, but like, you almost don't know how to feel. No. No, I don't know how to feel about it at all. No, seriously, because it's like... I'm at the same time elated, confused, and sad. Yeah, because like now, I'm a Cardinals fan. I'm not even a Cubs fan, but my mom (laughs) is a Cubs fan. And so we grew up talking about like, oh man, can you one day can you imagine the day the Cubs win the World Series? Right. And it's like, well, it's here, and it's gonna happen. But I have found myself like in that thread, and I haven't even articulated this yet. But I mean, I feel comfortable sharing it on the cast. But it's like ordination is close enough now that like I know this sounds weird, but like. I'm wondering what it feels like. Hmm. Like, I'm wondering what it feels like to be like a deacon and like have those hands on your head and then be preaching at mass. And like, I'm wondering what it feels like and not, not in a romantic sense, honestly, like at all. Like, what does it feel like to go to bed and be like, I'm, I'm a priest Mm -hmm. now. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know, but like that's, at least to me, that's like a real question hmm. of experience. Does that make sense? Yeah, I can't answer the question. Exactly. That's the point. Right. Like that's that's the whole point in it. It's like it can't, yeah. Like ask your brother after he had his first kid, what is it like to fall asleep and be a dad? Right. Or even even like like waking up with that wedding ring on, like mm-hmm. after his his wedding, like I'm a, I'm a married guy yeah. now. Like what what's that like? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a mystery, dude. And yeah. you know what? I think that um, maybe what I'm coming up against is something I've railed against, and at least in my own imagination. You know when you have arguments with yourself? You're having an argument with an imaginary person, but you're really just arguing with yourself. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about the whole cohabitation thing and the fact that it's basically the MO of our entire generation. Mm -hmm. It's just an approved and assumed methodology. The best practice is to see if you're compatible with this person by living with them before you get married to them. I was thinking about how part of it was reading Three to Get Married by Sheen. And he has this whole chapter about like the opening of the mystery of the person. Mm-hmm. and what marriage like the process of getting and being married to another is like the this opening of a of a treasure chest you know like you're yeah. you're getting to know this person in this most intimate way and the only way was to the only way to know this is it the you cannot know what it's like to be in a relationship of committed love until you're in it yeah. You get what I'm saying? There's no practicing that. Yeah, as man. many parish internships or hospital chaplaincies as you do, there's no way to know 
what the difference between the day before ordination is and the day after ordination is. There's no way to know what the day feels like before marriage and after marriage, what the difference is, until you've lived it. That's where I'm at. Yeah, exactly. You cannot explain it. You cannot practice it. You cannot know it. And the thing about cohabitation to me is like the fact that our generation has just assumed this, that you have to be a rebel not to do it, is like so sad to me because it's so closed off to mystery. Because what you're saying when you get married is like, I will die for you. I will literally go to the cross for you. I'll take a bullet for you. My whole life is yours. Mm -hmm. And what cohabitation as a way to test compatibility says is if I effectively, if I smell this guy's farts for three years, I will know whether or not he's willing to die for me, which is obviously false. Mm -hmm. But you're, you're just saying like compatible and, and Sheen's whole point is like marriage is not about two compatible people, right? It's about two radically different people because man and woman we were created to be very different, yet complementary. Um, and to like just find a roommate you can have sex with is not the mission of finding a spouse. That's not the way you find a spouse. And the same thing with ordination. And we, again, we use all these metaphors of spouse and father and whatever, but it's true. Like you, you have to completely jump off the cliff to know what it's like to be in free fall. You know, um, it's, it's the mystery of it, you know, and I think about this on a day-to-day basis, like, would I have it different? Well, then it wouldn't be what it is if I had it the way I wanted it to be. If the people were acting and relating to me in the way I hoped or wished they would, I wouldn't be being a priest. I'd be doing something else. Yeah. No. And even in... I guess to relate it back to myself, why not? Please. But, uh, but like in in spiritual direction, the past couple of times, like we've been talking about like what celibate love feels like. Like that line has been big to me. It's like, what does celibate love feel like? Feels like nothing. <laughs> um. And it's, I mean, it's been, like, very tangible how, I mean, God, in a very real way, has, like, fulfilled my heart in this, like, call in life, I mean, to to be a priest, you know, in, in a couple of years. But there is that, like, reality sinking in. And maybe it's just getting, like, close. I mean, we're just a couple, like, months away from going to the Holy Land and then coming back and being ordained and... Like, it's realizing that that's going to move very quick. Like, once once we go over to the holy land for that few months mm-hmm. um it already is it's almost november yeah yeah and it's like it's so exciting like there's i mean like i i don't want to sound like i'm not pumped for it but it is like in a sense of it's just kind of getting to that cusp of like yeah man it's just kind of like the other stuff is like my ideas of it are almost like completely burnt away because exactly that like it's going to be what it is at this point right and that's super exciting but it's it's just like it's feel like it's time you know it's still five months away or whatever and it's even i've even been going back to like my 30-day journals a lot 
and uh, all the beautiful graces from that. And there are a lot, like, I can always go back to there. They're, like, beautiful spots of my heart. But there's been this realization to me of, like, in my prayer life that, like, these graces can't just be memories because, like, they in themselves can't fulfill me for the rest of my life. Like, the spiritual life has Mm -hmm. to be real, and it has to continue to change and grow and deepen. Um, And so it's like these graces are wonderful, like what I experienced on that 30-day. But it's like it has to get better. Mm -hmm. Um, Or else it's not good enough, honestly. Yeah. And I guess it's – but it's – I don't know. Did you have a moment, though, in any of those graces or any other time in your life where you're like, no matter what – how do I want to phrase this? that like with Christ, like my moment was this thing on the IPF retreat where I sort of realized the Eucharist is really real. Like he's, he's telling us the truth that he's really here and that he wants to be with us and what that meant for me. And, uh, you know, experiencing that and then like walking out of the church that night. And the first, uh, thought I had was I can be happy as a priest like literally those words entered my mind in my own voice spontaneously. And I believed those words so firmly. And it's not like I can go back there and feel the same thing I felt Mm -hmm. that night, but that left this impression on me like a tattoo. Like anywhere I go, I can just look at that. Yes. There are, and there are like particular moments, um, I think specifically like on when I did the 30 day that it was so concrete. Um, I think I might have talked about this before, but it was like, I can't doubt it that like, this is what God is calling me to Mm -hmm. in my life. And those, and I mean, don't get me wrong, like, and not just the 30 day, not just IPF, but like moments in prayer and Mm -hmm. life that you go back to. And it's like that, that's literally nourishment for the rest of my life because that place in my heart is real. And so it's mm-hmm. not a like diminishing that. There may be temptations to think right. like, oh, you, you know, you are deluding yourself in that moment. But it'd be like, yeah, sure. It'd mm-hmm. be like the difference of, um, I don't even know. Like the place is there and I know where it is to go, but like the relationship has to grow. So it's a simple analogy, but like one of my favorite places in the world is my parents' deck because we grew up there and like Mm -hmm. that's where like me and my mom and dad and brothers and sisters like had all these like just awesome talks and like grew up there and that same spot that i used to tell talk to my dad about like my baseball swing is this literally the same exact physical spot that like the next time i go home like we'll have a whiskey and cigar that's crazy home yeah and it's, it's the same physical spot i know where that spot is and i can go there but like that relationship is so much richer now mm-hmm. because of the experiences that we've gone through together. And so it's the same thing, but it's better. Right. Because I can go back to those places of like sitting out there with my dad the night before I went to college and sitting out there with my dad like the night before I went to seminary. Mm-hmm. And I have that, but now it's like even better. Right. And so, like, those places are very real in my heart. And so you go back there, but it has to, like, continue. Mm -hmm. 
So, I mean, maybe it's just this experience of me of like, yeah, man, like coming up to like, if you want to talk about committed love, like love to center your life around, like those promises are knocking at the door. At least I yeah. feel like mm-hmm. anyway. Um, so it, like, just mis- do it for God's sake. Everybody just do it. Yeah. <laughs> do something. Do something, please. Please promise your life to something. Someone. This is I think this is the prison of our generation. The prison that everybody's in right now is that they won't give their life to something or someone. And uh, like you know, we've talked about how we felt in the process of discerning that this was really for us. But you know what a really good question is is like, what is God calling me to do with my life? You know, that's a question people have. And at some point, you just have to decide. Like, the great mystery of it is that you could, in good conscience, to some extent, completely abandon this path and go get married and probably be a pretty happy guy. Sure. Sure. And you could too, Mike. And that's fine. And God would still love you. And you could still go to heaven, you know? But here's the thing. Like, God is, has offered you this thing, mm-hmm. which in some ways is beyond that. It's like an anticipation of an even greater love. And that's, to me, what... The thing that really rings true with me about celibacy is that, hey, the sacraments are these lifeboats that get you to heaven. We talked about this. And marriage is one of those things, you know? I love marriage more than I ever did before, now that I'm a priest. Like this Matrimonius and Cristo thing, like seeing these people celebrate their families and their marriages in the church made me love marriage qua marriage more than I ever have before, but as an instrument Mm -hmm. to get a human being to heaven and to carry others, the children, to heaven as well. Um, But I don't want to be married because, like, in heaven, no one's married. The life, you get out of the lifeboat the moment you land on land, which is heaven. And so celibacy to me is this anticipation of heaven. You're already one with God in some, uh, even now, sacramental or shadowy sense. But to give your life to nothing or, or to like hold your options open and, and tell yourself that's freedom, that's the prison. That's the great paradox of life. Is like until, until you constrict yourself and it becomes like the most, like what you're talking about, what it feels like on the other side is like, living in this room, sleeping in that bed, meeting with these people, saying mass at this church. That's what it looks like and that's what it feels like. And you have no way of knowing what that's going to be like. Yeah. And you wouldn't want to be able to decide what that's like. You know what I mean? Because if it was you just deciding it, then it wouldn't be love being imprisoned for the sake of love. Like... Just tell me what to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's a beefy. That's a beefy analogy. What one? The the porch one or your your back deck one? Yeah. That. You know, I mean, that conjures up tons of memories, hmm. tons of my own experiences on my back deck with my family as well. But man, that works works super well. Like the place to go back to. My first thought that I jumped to was. Like, that's why we call the, I think if you understand memory as not something stuck in the past, but something alive within the person. Yeah. 
Like that's that's what we call the mass in a lot of ways. Like that re-remembering that it makes it present. And so like and on top of that, we're going we're going to Jerusalem. Like we're going to the place where Jesus died and lived and walked. Cause like you to go to that place, it makes that relationship even more full, even more real. Um, on internship, I used to live close to the internship parish that I went to and I was pretty young. What is it? Second, third, fourth, fifth grade, um, was when we lived down there and driving to the parish, to the internship parish. I just realized that I was on the road to get to our old house Hmm. and I had no clue until it like hit me like I know this CVS. I remember when that CVS was being built. Huh. If I take a left here, I'm going to get to my old house. Hmm. Like, I had no clue where I was. Yeah. If you gave me a map, hmm. like, I really didn't even know. And so I just kind of started following instinctually all of this. We're like, oh, I remember looking at Christmas lights in here. Like, one part of the neighborhood that would go insane on Christmas lights. <laughs> and I drove back to our old house and took a ton of photos hmm. and, like, went back there and the skeleton to our old trampoline was still out there, like the the metal. <laughs> there are steps wow. that we nailed into this giant tree where we zip lined up, and I <laughs> fell twenty feet off of a zip line that was like not secured on the other end. Man, effectively just jumping twenty feet out of a tree, <laughs> and like it just made all of those memories so much richer to come back hmm. to come back as as who I am now to the place where I experienced all those things. It like it helps you to understand yourself and to understand your own life and how quick I was to send pictures to my siblings of like, dude, check this, check out this tree. Do you remember this place where we climbed? And yeah, memory. That's such a rich analogy because it's so true. Let me just take it like then I guess for me, what's been rich about it is like, just take that to the spiritual life. Right. Then. right. Because that, that was my point on like my memories from IPF and the 30 day right. and different prayer experiences is that I can go back there and without a doubt, like it's a real place in my heart or like whatever you want to use. Like it's a, mm-hmm. it's a real thing. Yeah. Um, like a real encounter for me. And I know exactly like, what happened and i i can go there and i can stay there yeah. but like it has to get richer yeah. it has yeah. to get better yeah it, and that that was my point of like kind of in the sense of the word memory like we may think of it as just like oh this happened in the past right. it's like it can't be that yeah and so maybe that's like even then getting to like back to the ordination thing um, I mean, you want to talk about cliches, like, or kind of abstraction. Here's one, but it is like in a lot of ways, um, I get now the language of, um, an ordination being, or, or a marriage or whatever, being like a total death to self. Like it's, you really die and then you come and then you're back. Yeah. And so that, that I guess, is, like, sinking in for me of, like, the mystery of ordination is it's April 21st. Like, it's on, it's on the calendar at mm-hmm. this point, God, God willing, I guess. But uh, God and diocese willing, I guess. But, right. uh, and you willing. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, like, 
you will be, you know, substantially different yeah. after that experience. But it's, just, I mean, I'm going to go back to class like that following week. Right. So it's going to be the same routine and the same like rhythm of life. And so maybe a good question in that is like, okay, well, like, just take the language of the analogy of a death. Like, is that what death is going to be like? Oh, man, that is. Yeah, I I think that. So my memory that I just described vaguely was this thing with the Eucharist and leaving the church thinking I can be happy as a priest. The reason I could be happy was as a priest wasn't because of what just happened to me, but because of what that meant for the rest of my life. What I just yeah. experienced meant that for the rest of my life, this is the norm. That even if I can't feel this way all the time, this signaled to me somehow in some quarter of my being that this is true and real, that God is real that he's really present, that he cares about me and that he's on my side and that I'm not wrong about my, uh, whatever you want to call it, discernment or, or just sort of finding of a path. Like he had led me along this path and I can trust it. And so just do it, just go. And it wasn't because, like I said, this static reality of what happened that night but rather what it meant that it would get better, like you're saying, that it has to it has to be more than this. But I knew that, you know, like you can know even now that there is so much more here than that I could ever plumb in a lifetime or, or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. And so that's, hell yeah, that's death. Because look at the Cubs thing. Like the other night they get to the, they win the pennant. And it's something we've waited for for 71 years and I've waited for for not that many years. But to some extent, like there was there there was some sadness in it because now we know what the other side of this looks like, which is yeah, pretty much the same. Yeah. yeah. But what I believe about death is that that's when the real action happens. Hmm. You know, that what we're really waiting for, this new Jerusalem or whatever metaphor you want to use for it, this like eternal never ending this is what's mysterious the question which is the thing you started this whole conversation with the question about human life is 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 there anything worth it human life is such a grave responsibility yep. to receive yeah. the gift of life is there anything worth living for hmm. it's and almost like i don't want to break your train of thought Go no ahead. well i was just going to say and therefore is there anything worth dying for yeah. Because because that's that ends up being the answer to the question: Is there anything worth living for? Because unless you're willing to die for something, then or even th- there's nothing worth living for. Because life has to be eternal; it makes no sense. Nuance it just a little bit, like for our generation that we've kind of been talking about. But is there anything worth waiting for? Like that's almost how mm. I think of it. Um, and it's been very it's been a huge grace, especially with thinking about being ordained in a couple of years and all this awesome stuff in my life, but it's been a huge grace that my little brother got married last summer. And mm-hmm. like they just had their little boy and like, you know, he's just living life as a husband, dad, you know, doing his um doing his thing. And 
he's probably the dude that like I know best in the world is my <laughs> little brother. And right. so getting to see him like at his wedding reception, you know, dancing with his wife and it was so cool. And uh yeah, I mean, you you want to go back to like the cohabitation thing or living without mystery, like if you want to call it mm-hmm. that, like nothing worth waiting for, if you want to call it that type of lifestyle. It's like I see I can see how this like is inexplicable and does not compute compute at all. But for like take the like example of my brother who had like a very beautiful courtship with his now wife and a very beautiful like wedding and they've been very blessed in their family life and you know all this good stuff that is you know definitely given from from God but it was like man it was so cool to see how happy he was and he I mean like they waited seeing them on their wedding was awesome and it was worth to my brother like not living together for those eight months that they were engaged Mm -hmm. or whatever. And it made the day that much more like full of mystery, full of joy, whatever you want to call it. And that was what finally kind of articulated my prayer. This was just a couple weeks ago. It was like, he found a girl that he loved so much. He was willing to, you know, wait. To really know her. To really know her. Right. I mean, he waited you know, four years of dating and eight months of engagement, like for that moment. That's the thing is there can be no premarital sex in the order of the spousal life of a, of a priest. That's it. And so there's no cheating. There's no like saying that's the thing is like, if you went and said, this is my body over a priest of bread, you know that that would be a lie. But, and even, but with, with premarital sex, you can like pretend that this is somehow like a preview of what it might be like. Yeah, man. But you know, but in the on the real plane, it's like, no, until you've actually made the commitment, the thing isn't real. And even take, like, take that analogy then to death, like whether marriage is the sacrament that is the vessel to, to get us where we're going, or like if we get to start living that a little bit early in as a priest or whatever because i do i mean that's that's what's beautiful about like upcoming oration is to think about like living that life but then like the fulfillment of that is still going to be our death someday there's not going to be a eucharist in heaven right either and so it's like i just i just kind of had this cool thought of like man that's it was so beautiful to see my brother like live that the way he did and like the experience of that for him and for other people it's like he had to wait eight months of engagement. Right. And if I have to wait, you know, like 70 years from now, I'm pretty much for sure going to be dead. And so, like, if the fulfillment of that is really in heaven and I have to wait seven years, like, going back to these places in my heart, I guess that's what they point to. Like, we're talking about these memories and these like tangible places we can go to. At least for me, it's enough to, like, kind of stake the bet on that that it's going to be worth it like mm-hmm. okay like i'll i'll wait like for the fulfillment of this because that sliver was good enough to like get me to here and like it's just a trust that god's going to fulfill it and at some point it's like what's the alternative true yeah that's a <laughs> that's fair i think yeah i think that's fair
What's the alternative? Just like, well, maybe that wasn't really true. So I'll just try to make a life out of whatever I can. Yeah. That's not good enough. I mean, I get why Albert Camus and the existentialists just wanted to put a gun in their mouth. Yeah. If like, if there is nothing to live for, if there's nothing worth dying for, if there's no, no thing that will eternally satisfy. In other words, that's like, there's, there's never an end to it and it's goodness. Then what's the point? That I do not have an answer to. (laughs) That's a good question. You know what I'm saying? That in some ways is like what anybody who stands before an altar and signs their life away to anything is saying that like, I believe there is something. And here we go. Let's see what it is. You know? Yeah. And then the, then the next day you fall asleep and you're like, did that happen? (laughs) Does that answer your initial question, Mike? It does. <laughs> it does. And another thing. Yeah, I yeah. There's just a couple of things that cross my mind, um, more in the way of story, particularly to explain like when you were talking about priesthood feels like living in this house and sleeping in that bed and going to my meetings and talking to certain people. Like, yeah, I have no clue what that is, mm-hmm. and rightfully so. By way of story, the, the kind of thing that crossed my mind there was, uh, well, two things. I remember going through preparing to go to airborne school, and you talked to tons of people about what to expect and what to plan for and what it's going to be like and what the training is like. And then you prepare for it, you pack, you have all these detailed things that you need to put in your rucksack and your, you know, your A bag. And then you get there and then you go through all these things that everyone's telling you about. And we've done other things like this. So it's kind of familiar. You know, you get in formation, you wake up early, you run, you do lots of push-ups, you get yelled at. <laughs> I, I know those experiences. <laughs> and then they start to prep you stage by stage to jump out of an airplane, like to experience not exactly free fall. The whole thing where you jump off like a 12-foot platform and yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. And so you start really small and you start on like a three-foot platform and you jump off and they teach you how to land by displacing your weight and kind of rolling. You're like, okay, that's all right. That's kind of like it. That's mm-hmm. how you land, but that's definitely not it. Tell me what it's like. And people try and tell you like what it's like to jump out of an airplane and fall through the air. You're like, all right, I still have no clue what that's like. Mm-hmm. And then you get up to a higher tower where they strap you in and they zing you down these zip lines and have you like jump out of a tower, a fake tower, and you tuck kind of similarly. And then you're maybe 50 feet in the air and it's like, okay, this is sort of like it, but it's not it. This is not jumping out of an airplane. Huh. And people try and explain it to you and you hear tons of different perspectives. And then you get up in that freaking airplane, dude. <laughs> and the thing is like, <gasps> and everything is shaking, including you. Mm. And like your heart is racing and the people in front of you are trying to act tough and cool. And like everybody is freaking out because you're Pooping about to their jump pants. out of an airplane at thousands of feet in the air. Mm. And like, I remember having the experience. I was really blessed to my first jump. I jumped last. I was very, very last in line. 
in my last jump, I was the very first in line. Mm. And what's cool about being first in line is, well, what's cool about being last is you get to hear everyone else jump. And to hear a human being smack up against an airplane is an eerie thing. Wait, okay. you smack the airplane when you jump? You're not supposed to, but we had okay. a guy who didn't jump far enough and oh. smashed into the airplane. Gosh, did he get concussed? He broke his collarbone. Oh, dude. So it's like the same idea, and I think I might have explained it, but like when you stick your arm out the window when yeah. you're driving, it shoots back. Right. And so the like when you jump out, you lead with your feet, and they can immediately get caught, and you, you get pulled backwards. Right. And so you have to jump far enough out so that you're not hitting against the airplane. Oh, man. And I guess somebody didn't. I never would have thought of that. Yeah. And so, like, we're scooting forward, shuffling forward, and we hear, like, and we're like, (laughs) (laughs) those are human bodies. (laughs) Man. So then you, like, you get to the front, and, I mean, I jumped, like, as far as I possibly could, you know? Yeah. And, and... As many times as we had done small platform, jumped out of the tower at 50 feet, worked on our landings, like to actually jump out of an airplane and to watch the wing go by, to tuck your head and feel your parachute open and have the wind like rushing through your face and then be a thousand feet in the air, just kind of like floating through space. Mm -hmm. You can't, I just described it. I described characteristics of it, but like the experience of it is you cannot prepare for that. There's it was like no, there was a I time, basically just lived it. You just explained it to me. Yeah. Well, I know exactly what it's you're like. You're kind of destroying what I my whole point. <laughs> you're undermining me. I really think I know what it's like. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, no, you described it really well. That was yeah, it was really good. Yeah. Dang it. I'm so good I'm refuting my own arguments. Um but jumping first, the incredible experience of that is you have to wait until you get over the drop zones. So you're not jumping into trees or into lakes and things like that, and they have a very specific drop zone. So they tell everyone to stand up. The first person, they move them to the jump door and they open it. And you're standing at the jump door Mm. watching the earth go by with nothing in between you and the jump door. Yeah. And, And I remember speaking to myself and saying, Mike, calm down and like, look at this and soak up this experience for everything that it's worth. Cause I mean, maybe I'll get another chance at it, but like, you're about to jump out of an airplane. You're standing a thousand feet in the air, or, you know, however many feet, looking at what could possibly be like your impending death. This is your doom here. <laughs> yeah. it's soak it up while you can. Yeah, like you're never, you know, this is a very unique experience. And so to be able to stand there and to look at it is, and then to like consciously make an effort to jump into that, into that reality. And, oh like to trust all of your training and to trust your parachute and to trust yourself. Like you can only experience that and know that about yourself also. Like, yeah, I do trust what I learned. Mm -hmm. I do trust that I can do this. And the parachute opens and you kind of, you know, go whatever, do your thing. But that was the only thing that I could relate to. And even making a big commitment, like training four years to be a lieutenant and a lot of times that's viewed as like a vocation, mm-hmm. you know, but that's a totally different thing. Like when I was commissioned as a lieutenant, I woke up the next day and just thought like, okay, I'm commissioned. Like I'm still the same person in a lot of ways. I just have a new job. Like mm-hmm. I have a job title. I was commissioned to do a job. And that's something totally different than what we're talking about in the way of commitment and ordination. And the thing that I thought of with that is like this ring that I wear here, 
I remember I give a lot of reasons. People ask me a ton about this, which is a ring that I have for the consecration to Our Lady. Mm-hmm. And it seriously stirs up a lot of good conversation. But one of the things that I always say is like, oh, it reminds me that I'm committed and that I'm I'm not a bachelor, that I am taken. And kind of jokingly, it was like, oh, it keeps the ladies away because they mm-hmm. know that I'm married. That's totally ineffective. Uh, <laughs> but honestly, if I'm totally honest, like if I do cut through the BS and those things are true for the most part, but I remember getting to seminary and like living those first six months and being so excited that I committed to this, that like I wanted to show a commitment mm-hmm. that it was motivated by joy in a committed relationship of love that like, no, this is what I was made for. And longing to dive into that, to that commitment was actually what spurred me on to getting this. Hmm. And just to think about what a different thing that is than like, Oh, it's to remember, to remind me of like, you know, the commitment that I did make or, you know, to tell other people the commitment that I made. Those are good things for sure. Like this was, waited for and i was by myself in a parking lot like at a jewelry store buying a ring for myself yeah with my own gravings and my own initials and i had my own prayers and like took them out of a out of that the consecration book and like made a whole ritual out of it because i wanted to give my life to this mm-hmm. and i like that was it i found something i wanted to die for and the tough part is now like one actually getting to the full sacramental commitment and living those little things each day. I mean, it's very, very challenging, but like those moments where you said like, okay, everything is different now. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I wanted to have a a reminder for, well, the difference of like, I'm a, I'm a different person. Now the trajectory of my life will forever be changed. Yeah. Um, so that's just I know the I know their stories, but that's kind of what was coming that's to intense, mind, man. The, the free fall parachuting analogy is almost so perfect; it's corny. It's like that's exactly what it's like. The three months in a parish is like jumping off a three foot tower, and like going in a hospital or living in an orphanage or nursing home or seminary. Six years in seminary is like jumping off of the 50 foot zip line, but getting ordained is like jumping out of the plane. Like, do I trust my training? Do I trust my judgment that this is the right thing to do? Do I trust these people that are telling me this is safe? Like all these priest mentors and everybody and my friends, my family that are supporting me. And I'm just going to, just going to do it because if I didn't, if I just stayed in the plane like, you know what? I'm just going to land with the rest of the guys and then I'm just going to go live a normal life. Yeah, sure. You can do that. But then you wouldn't have jumped out of the plane and it wouldn't be as cool. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) We actually did have a girl who doesn't remember jumping and she got shoved out. (laughs) Yeah. She was so nervous. She like blacked out. Some people need the shove. Some people do need the shove. Yeah. In any case, go to bestcatholicwebsites.com. Here it is. And go to Best Podcasts and vote for Three Dogs North. It's a very prestigious award. 
that we plan to win. We and will we win. We need your support. And all the listeners should go to bestcatholicwebsites.com under best podcasts vote for Three Dogs North. That's one thing I was saying to you and Mike, Rob. Yes. Yeah. You guys should do that. We will. Okay. I will make sure Mike does that. All right. When he comes back. Best Catholic Websites. That's what the website is? It's actually? called bestcatholicwebsites.com. All right. Vote. Get out the vote. Three Dogs North, best Catholic podcast. Even though we do not think we're the best podcast, nor do we think we are a Catholic podcast. I think, well, see, <laughs> but, the nuance that I do think we're the best podcast. We do. We're, we're not necessarily just but a Catholic But we have podcast. not once claimed to be a Catholic podcast, yeah. which is interesting. Right. That is very interesting. We're a philosophy slash artist. We're in the philosophy category. Really? Mm-hmm. On iTunes? On iTunes, yeah. Oh, man. But actually, if you click on the philosophy, this is boring, but if you click on the philosophy top podcast, we're usually in the top, we're always in the top 200. <laughs> That's just nothing. Sounds so impressive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but sometimes we've been as high as like 50. Also, wow. <laughs> if you go to this website and vote, Okay, vote for us. Don't forget, that's a key aspect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Don't just go and vote. Vote for Three Dogs North. If we don't win... We blame you. Yeah. <laughs> we blame you. Probably nothing will change. <laughs> Absolutely nothing about our life or your <laughs> life will change. But something could change. <laughs> potentially. We mean it. There might be. We really mean it. We're serious. <laughs> Nothing may or may not change. We can't confirm or deny that anything will change. But vote for Three Dogs North. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. And down.